Welcome to New York's Finest, Retired and Unfiltered Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to explore the life and experiences of those who at one time held a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth, policing the streets of New York City. This show hosts a wide variety of guests from all walks of life and professions, but remains centered around introducing retired members of the NYPD to our audience while having real unfiltered discussions. Please tune in each week and like and subscribe to hear true crime stories and opinions on past and present events like you've never heard them before. My name is Corey Grable, and I want to be the new PBA president. Growing up in Brooklyn, I had to overcome a lot of obstacles. So I decided to make a difference. I joined the greatest police force in the world, the NYPD. When elected, the first issue on my agenda will be to reconnect with the membership. After 23 years, this was lost. It's also time to stop treating tier three members like outsiders and start preparing them for leadership roles within the PBA. I will immediately start working on building relationships with the community and legislators. I believe this is vital when you start raising questions and concerns about the timeliness of our contracts and improving benefits. It's time for us to make history. So vote Corey Grable for PBA president. Remember, change is needed and the change is now. Thank you, stay safe, and God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. Thanks for tuning in tonight with your host, John McCary, most complained cop, Eric Dim. We have a very special guest with us tonight. Um, we give him all the kudos in the world for coming out here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have Corey Grable. Corey's a 31-year veteran of the New York City Police Department. He joined in 1992. In 2002, he became PBA delegate for Transit District 32. In 2011, he was elected to the Transit Bureau's financial secretary, and he still serves in that role today. Um, Corey's currently now running for PBA president for the NYC, the largest police benevolent association across the country. He's running for president. He's running against longstanding member Patrick Lynch. Corey, we'd like to welcome you to the show. We thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Thank you for joining us tonight, my friend. Well, I thank you all, gentlemen. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be on your show. You know, your podcast is growing. I, you know, as we were talking earlier, you know, to kind of grow from a you know, little bit of an infancy into to expanding to where you guys are now. So it's an incredible feat, and you know you live in your dream. So I, I always admire and become inspired by gentlemen like you. So thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I'll stand. First of all, I just want to say thank you for taking on the challenge to come on this podcast and take the opportunity to answer questions. Right. And uh, I said it offline, but I want to say it again that, and so that our viewers understand, this is not an opportunity to attack you. By any means, this is an opportunity. It's great for everyone. It's an opportunity to give you a platform to show why you're the best suitable candidate or not. And this is an opportunity for the viewers to get an opportunity to know you. Right. Uh, so for that, I want to thank you for taking on that challenge in the unknown. So why don't we just jump right into it? Sure. And let's start. Why don't you tell us uh, where you grew up? I'm a Brooklyn born and raised guy. You know, I grew up in uh, in the 77 precinct on Park Place in Franklin, the, the old Franklin. The new, the new one is, I don't know what it is now, is fulfilled. <laughs> but back when I was growing up, it was a pretty tough neighborhood, you know, and um, 
product of a New York City school system. I uh, went to John Dewey High School. And after John Dewey High School, I went to St. John's University. I was supposed to go to law school. My mom and parents, they, they grew me to go to law school. I made the decision to come on this job. And it was the best decision I ever made. And uh, Corey, why did you come on? Like, what, 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 what was it about the PD that, like, why, why didn't you, did you take, take any other city tests or was it, was it just something with the PD? Well, you know, when I went to St. John's, you know, my goal was to go to law school. I mean, ever since I was a kid, but, you know, when you're small, you want to be a cowboy, you know, and police officer was one of those things. And I grew up in a real challenging neighborhood, um, you know, it was full of, you know, drugs and, and gangs and, and uh, me and my buddies just made a conscious decision not to do that. But I always got involved in community service. There was uh, my next door neighbor. He really kind of shielded me away from those uh, elements. And um, believe it or not, when I was in St. John's, um, uh, one of the guys who graduated, he was on the force. So he had asked me, he said, hey, man, what are you going to do when you go um, when you graduate from school? I said, man, I really don't know. I was supposed to go to law school, but, you know, I, I don't know if I'm feeling that. The very next day, the recruiter for NYPD was there. And I was like, this is like a sign, right? So I went <laughs> up to the, the cop and I was like, hey, is this is where you sign up to take the test. And he said, yeah. He says, um, what year are you? I said, I'm a senior. I'm graduating in a few months. So he said, yeah. So I signed up and uh, the rest is history. Uh, well, tell us also, give us a brief overview of your career as a police officer within the police department, your career being part of the PBA, so that the we would like an opportunity for the men and women to get an opportunity to know a little bit about you, about your career. Sure, sure. Well, I was original transcom. So I started out June 92. Uh, the test I took was a tri-agency one. So I um, decided to join the transit police because they, they're the ones that had the nine millimeter, believe it or not. So uh, the, other, the other agencies had the, the six shooter, you know, transit had the nine. And, you know, in 92, it was a different city. You know, it was like, what, 2,800 murders. And, you know, I was like, listen, I want the nine millimeter. So that kind of led me to the transit police. But then we merged in 95. And uh, believe it or not, I was telling the story the other day. I am where I am today because I ran a red light. I was driving an inspector and a captain. It was his last day of patrol. I mean, last day of working. And I ran a red light. And had I not ran that, had I stayed at that light, I would have missed this um, notification from a civilian and said that something's going on down the street. And to make a long story short, I got into a shooting uh, in a 77 precinct on Franklin and St. John's. And it was that moment when there was a guy, cop came and said, kid, it's going to be all right. You know, just don't say, don't say anything. Be quiet when you get to the hospital. And he was giving the other cop all these directions. So I'm relatively new. So uh, I was like, Yo, who's that guy? He said, oh, that's the PBA delegate. And from that moment, I knew I wanted to be a delegate. And that was my first first introduction to the to the union. And, and I realized at that moment that, you know, there's other opportunities besides going up the, the ranks. And the way that cop, and his name is Stephen Crockett, and to, I thank him to this day for treating me and helped me navigate through that, you know, time when, you know, they called the DA's office or they're going to lock me up. And um, that's how I got motivated to do the union thing. And, you know, fortunately, the, the members of District 32, they they thought the same and became the delegate ever since. And then um, 
you wind up going into into basically a leadership role where you sit now. I mean, you're you're the trustee of uh, you're the financial secretary for the for the transit. What what made you want to grow inside of the union? Like, what why did you seek that that role? And then if you could just take us further, why are you now seeking uh, PBA president? Well, well, there there were similar similar circumstances. The gentleman who had the uh, financial secretary role before I, you know, he um, he basically wasn't doing his job. Not to say that Patty isn't, but he was not doing his job. And, you know, he was, um, he, 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 he uh, just failed. So, I, I mean, I don't want to disrespect the person. I'm not about that. But I saw an opportunity to make a difference. I had a vision. And the vision was to, to be able to... The membership. Hello? Oh, I'm sorry. Right. So I had this vision um, about how to make things better within the bureau. And um, when the opportunity came, I did my due diligence and research and found out how to um, to actually run. Because a lot of that stuff isn't that information really isn't disclosed. And um, you know, put together a comprehensive plan and and was able to become successful. And you know, that was in 2011, and I've been serving the membership ever since. Um, ironically, I was actually then I actually ran against Patty's ticket because you know, obviously, he was on Patty's um, slate, and I uh, ran as an independent candidate. And um, in 2015, Patty asked me to join his ticket when the STS guys ran against him. And um, I joined and, you know, we've got reelected. And uh, but in recent years, when you ask the question why now I'm running, you know, I just kind of seen a, a misdirection in, in, in the, the direction where the PBA is going. And, you know, I say this all the time. You, you're never going to hear me say anything negative about the president. But I just think that after 23 years, you know, we start to need to look at these uh, modern police issues from a different lens. And, you know, the, the issue always come up about transparency has actually become a little bit of a cliche from some of the other trustees when they say negative things about me. However, with that being said, I just think that um, it's almost like a willful ignorance. You know, if you ask a, the average cop, you know, what is the logistics about how this organization runs? Many people are not unable to tell you. But then I just thought there was some policy moves um, from maybe contract to maybe certain political positions and, you know, some of the, the things in, in terms of the donations and, things like that. I was like, disagree with it. And you said, we could always be in a position where you can complain about it. But then I, I kind of felt uncomfortable. And uh, so that was kind of the integrity in which I decided to say, hey, listen, and I think I'm intelligent enough to run this organization and um, say, hey, let's, let's try it. So it went from a thought to an idea, to a plan, to an implementation of that plan to, you know, we setting up a logistical team to actually run for for president. It was a little unconventional, you know, um, didn't start out with a group of guys to say, hey, listen, let's let's uh, let's just get together and do this. You know, I, I was kind of a lone dove, um, you know, that, that's not to cr criticize any of the trustees, but, you know, um, they didn't necessarily share the same vision I had. And so, um, you know, it's been it's been it's been a challenge. You know, when you do something on this level, that's mm. not done before. You know, there are people who don't want to see successful and, you know, there's going to be some moments in time where you say, well, man, what the devil I get myself into? But 
the vision that I had was so big and huge. I think it's actually bigger than me. And I think that I have something to offer to New York City police officers and to the city itself, because I think that the role of the PBA president in terms of New York City has not only just local and city implications, but it also has national ones. And I think that, you know, some of the conversations that I think the current president was unable to have, which affects everything from contract to discipline, you know, I think that I can um, be able to navigate and maneuver those waters to 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 make change and to change the culture of this organization. So those are some of the motivations why I'm running. You know, it's very interesting to hear some of the stuff you're saying, and I, I really appreciate it. So we bring it back to 1992. That's when you said you got on the job, right? Yep. I mean, June 92. So, right. So throughout throughout the history of your career and just through time, things have evolved and things are changing. Oh, and here we are present present day, right? I always talk about that. You look at the cop in 1950s, there's John Smith, what he was wearing compared to the cop now. Time It evolves. Things change. So that's why it's so important with your campaign now, what do you feel are the needs of the cops in present day? Because they, cha they, they change along the way as we go. And you said your vision. So what, what do you feel are the needs of the cops in present day as we speak? Right. And, that, and that's a great question. Um, I think that when you talk about history, you know, many, many of the guys and women who've been on the job long enough generationally came out, came after our parents who maybe came after the um, baby boom generation and the Great Depression and that kind of areas where the only concern that you had was to get a steady civil service job with a pension and that's it. Nothing else matters. But I think over time, this generation of youngsters and young men and women that are on the job now, they don't necessarily share that same idea. And from talking to the members, these quality of life issues are almost as important as, as pay. And obviously, you know, listen, we got to pay our bills. You know, it's very expensive to live down in New York, but in just everywhere. But I think that we've gotten away with some of those kind of quality of life, those kind of services where, you know, one, one of the things on my platform is that, you know, I, I want to create a financial literacy program for police officers. You know, we come on this job to make money. But when you start looking at the opportunities to be able to transfer wealth from one generation to the next, most of us, I can speak for myself anyway, we come from backgrounds where the only thing I knew about investing is that you better get insurance policy. So when you die, no one have to beg for money to bury you. But I think that when you look at some of the challenges from a financial standpoint, we need to be able to deliver these services that cops can understand how to invest their money and position themselves that when they decide to leave here, they can understand how wealth works, how money works, and begin to make prudent decisions about how to position themselves to, to, to be able to have choices, financial freedom when they leave here. So these are the kind of services that I want to, to implement. You know, mental health is a big thing right now. And I think that these kind of programs could be initiated by, by this organization. We kind of do it for other things. You know, we give services for, say, getting a mortgage. But um, some of the other services that we, I don't want to say take for granted or think they exist, but for example, with mental health, we, you know, we've seen over the last few months and over the years how, how officers have been struggling with that stuff. And from talking to different financial people, you find that one of the, the things that contribute to those stresses is, is financial and relationship stuff. And then we come on this job 
and we go to work every day and, you know, obviously we have to deal with, you know, making the ultimate sacrifice. But sometimes these these notions of um, making sure that a, a person that come on this job is is mentally OK. You know, we tell them to go work 80 hours a month overtime. We tell them to go um, stand on your feet, you know, for 15 hours of the different details and, and the cold and the heat and all these other things. But sometimes we don't take a step back to say, hey, are you OK? You know, and then culturally, sometimes we kind of um, don't think to ask that question. Or when we see somebody that maybe have a little bit of a concern for, we 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 don't necessarily pursue sometimes the the opportunities to say to get the guy help, you know. And there's a, a mindset that if we do go reach out to the department, there's going to be some sort of discipline. So I think that the the organization can have these kind of um, programs. Maybe we can partnership with um, health providers. You know, be able to explain how we can use our health insurance to to go get these services. You know, obviously there's a fine line between, you know, making sure that they don't, you know, to be surveying off the job and stuff like that. But we're not talking about those extreme cases. We're talking about the 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 man or the, the young man or young woman who, you know, they just work 80 hours and they tie it. And and their their significant other is saying, Why aren't you home? And that can cause some of these concerns that we've had. And uh, unfortunately, there's uh, been a few examples in, 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 in recent months where we could see how, you know, mental health is a, a program. I think it's an opportunity for um, for the organization to, to take a leadership role in that. I want to thank you for that, because John and I talk about this on the podcast. We've had Twitter spaces about this where we talk about mental health, because I don't think we could ever talk about that enough. It's just... It, it's something that should be constantly driven and something that should be motivated and dedicated that we we drive about mental health because it's just so important. And we also talked about financial planning numerous times. So thank you for that because many of our cops, we all know it. They know, hey, I'm getting a pension, right? That's one of the, the great driving forces of being a, a New York City cop. Sure. But I don't think that most of the cops, they get on when they're young, 21 years old, maybe 25. To understand the dynamics of the pension, they're not, they're not there yet. So to in, instill or implement some type of financial planning, I, I appreciate that. So thank you for that. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely financial planning will help with mental health. I mean, you know, I, we have said how bad, you know, overall as a, as a profession, the majority of our members are financially, whether it's purchasing leases or whatever. And, and honestly, it's the largest police unit in the country. There's a lot of stuff that can be done with that amount of people, with that amount of, of power behind it. You know, when I go on these sites to look at even just for the LBA, which is a huge organization, too, it's a lot smaller than your organization. I'm like, there, you know, I'm like, I think I could broker some better deals here than what we're seeing. <laughs> you, know, you know, and I'm just, you know, but, you know, that's not here nor there. I'm, I'm outside of the union. You've, you've been in the union. Um, so I, I don't want to throw things that I don't know about. So I don't really want right, to. Get it. But I'm just saying as a whole, there's a lot, a lot of members like you. I think that there, that there is a lot more that could be done. And uh, and you spoke on transparency, too, with the union. That's that's a huge thing that I hear complaints about all the time. And I actually get it from every union. How do I run for delegate? How do I do this? And they like don't even know where to go, you know, to, to get that information. So I think that if if. if were to put something out there or, you know, that would be very beneficial to the members as far as them feeling like they're not being kept in the dark. 
Um, so I appreciate I appreciate you talking on that. Um, we 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 talked a little offline, and uh, you know I, I don't I don't want you to weigh in on the attacks I've been getting personally. But since I announced this this podcast, uh, uh, me and Eric have been getting bombarded by uh, one one follower accounts, all different names. Um, and, you know, ask Corey this question. Ask Corey that question. So you know, you know, me personally, we've spoken before Corey offline before we ever even talked about you coming on the show. You know, I'm not a fan of Eric Adams. I do wish him success. Uh, but I but could you just tell for the audience? your relationship with New York City Mayor Eric Adams? And could you also um, elaborate on what, on what we spoke on offline about who you're using to run your campaign and why, and some of the attacks I was getting by elected members that, that, you, that you have, uh, you know, I don't know if it's, it's personal or business relationships. If you don't just mind clearing the, the air for the, the, the bombardment of attacks. I don't want you to speak on the attacks, just... Your 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 standpoint, you know, I'm I'm sure you guys have seen what's been going on. It's a little, it's a little. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I want to state for the record that, um, you know, as I've been hitting roll calls, you know, I've never ran a negative campaign. You know, obviously, I might have my opinion about certain things, and actually, may have on occasion had to defend myself against certain things, and you know, maybe things might have been revealed that way. But as far as to go out and specifically say, oh, Patty's Patrick Lynch is a whatever no he's a family man and i will never do that however you know i haven't necessarily been um treated the same way and and i'm listen i'm a big boy i knew that the moment that i made um the decision to run that you know certain things were going to be in existence right but to answer your question about eric i've known eric for a long time i mean it's a professional relationship you know I, i'm not going over to his house for a barbecue but he was a transit guy you know so he was an original transit when i came on the job he was a police officer he was in uh, the president of the guardians association when i came on so, you know, many of his friends, they were, you know, bosses of mine in, in District 32 and in District 1. And um, so the relationship has been, you know, it's kind of evolved. You know, obviously, when I became the trustee, you know, the 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 opportunity to not only deal with him and, and you know, other community leaders and elect officials, that kind of goes hand in hand. And, um, you know, I always made it um, community service, uh, you know, um, uh, a mantra of mine. And um, so as a result of those things, you know, um, you get to get a chance to meet some of these elected officials and listen, um, Eric's a politician. He used to be, he used to be a police officer, but now he's the mayor of the biggest city in, in the United States. So with that comes the politics. So, um, you know, sometimes people try to portray as he and I as friends and I think that's a mischaracterization, but I do have respect for him as a person. Um, don't always agree with them, obviously. And uh, so many things that, you know, you, you and I spoke about, I have concerns with with him as well. But, uh, you know, he has my cell phone number, I has, have his. So that's kind of kind of the relationship. And uh, so you had a follow-up question. So what was the follow-up question? What we, what we discussed online, I showed you some of the attacks that I was getting. Oh, right. About uh, the, 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 the political strategists that you used for right, uh, right. your campaign. Right, so the company that I'm using, um, you know, is being portrayed as some super uh, left anarchist type of uh, company. But the reality, they're a company just like any other PR company, they, they're here to make money. So they've represented people on both aisles, the left and the right. And, uh, you know, using strategy, 
<laughs> right? Um, I, I recognized that whomever I was going to use or decide to use, it was going to probably be attacked. So guess what? I used a company that the PBA and some of the other unions have used, the uh, police unions. So um, listen, I'm not here to go into you know the politics of that or who they represent it. But the reality, they're a company just like anyone else in America that goes to try to make as much money as they can, you know, within the, the legal guidelines and the in the law. And this company um, follows that to a T. Um, but as as far as um, you know, trying to portray me as some you know anti-cop, you know, I I, I know exactly what's the the logic behind some of the comments that have that has been on my my social media page. But I too have had some accounts that uh, has said some you know not so nice things about me. And uh, when you look at the followers, there's only one. And you wonder, is that who, who is, who's on the board? Is that accountable to? But, uh, but you know, I have professional people that I'm running and uh, uh, running my, my team. And, you know, to, to say some of the, the crazy things that they are alleging is, um, you know, well, what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to say Corey's great? No, they're supposed to say exactly what they're saying. No, but I mean to to attack the 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 strategist that you're using that they they themselves used is a little you know it's a little it's it's yeah. it's capable and it's a lot of misinformation getting thrown around there. So, that's just, so I appreciate you clearing that up. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. You know, with that being said, I think this is a great opportunity at this at this time. We would like to definitely go into your platform, uh, but before we go into the platform, since we're talking about the union. There was a recording that came out. It went viral. I'm sure you know about it. Uh, I, mean, I mean, you were there, but I know that you know it went viral. It, everyone received it by text, WhatsApp. It was all over the place. But in that, it was a, the delegate meeting, the monthly meeting held in February. Um, I mean, it was totally outrageous. But there, you were not given an opportunity to speak. Uh, there were some statements made there that were just totally outlandish. So we're going to play those clips. I want to give you an opportunity after we play those clips to uh, give us your thoughts on what transpired during that meeting. So please, we hope that you be uh, completely honest. I, I know you don't want to trash the PBA, but this is a perfect opportunity to just talk about the atrocities that went at this meeting. Uh, frankly, I heard it myself. John did. Uh, people I spoke to, it, it was just disgusting, completely unprofessional, and just shows the state of where the PBA is at this time. And it's really unfortunate, scary to see that it's gotten to that point. John, you got the clips? I have the clips. I'll play them. Uh, but just there is an open investigation. So if you could, if well, I'm going to play the clips, Eric, me and you could give our opinions as well. Um, you know, Corey, if you just want to give a statement on it, you know what I mean, uh, on the clips. But I'm going to play the clips for the audience. Uh, and, and in my opinion, what I heard is absolutely disgusting. I've heard it said several times. It sounds like a scene from Lord of the Flies. And yeah. it honestly enraged me when I heard it because I'm like, that's not, it's not, I don't, I don't believe in that. I listen, I disagree with a lot of people. I love bantering back and forth. I, I some of my favorite people are people that complete, we're on two separate sides of the aisle because I, I like, I like to be challenged and I like to explore other ideas. Um, so, you know, just, just a backstory before I play the clips, this is like Eric said, this is uh, the PBA delegate meeting. This is a uh, leaked audio that actually went out to the news and there was a daily news article about it. And there's an accusation being made against a, a member of the PBA who's actually running for treasure on Corey's team. And then I'm going to play another clip where it's uh, Corey attempting to speak 
to get the officer up on the mic to try to, to try to tell his side of the story. So I'm going to play the first clip. I never thought that I would have to be talking about this issue. But unfortunately, when I found that Anthony Gambino of Transit District 1 was running for a top five position in this organization, not only a top five position, but for treasurer. So I have to expose exactly what he did this last convention. As delegates, you know, you get extra checks at the convention. He took those four checks. He went and electronically deposited it to his bank and immediately went down to the check cashing guy and cashed all four checks. He knew exactly what he was doing because people in this room know when you do that, you get an immediate confirmation, a text, and an email. He knew exactly what he was doing. So let me tell you something. Not only should you not be running for treasurer, you should resign as delegate right here. You're a fucking perp. Resign as delegate right here. significant that is. When we took over this organization, we had $5 million in the bank. We now have $70 million in the bank because no one will ever steal our money again. And we cannot allow it to happen for selfish reasons. Choose your friends. Choose your colleagues. Choose your running mates. No one criticizes someone for running. We do criticize who does run who's not suited. I mean, so I, I'm pretty sure the audience is pretty shocked to hear that. You know, that was a, an accusation made in front of hundreds of members of the New York City Police Department who happened to be in representation for the members of the PBA. Uh, in my opinion, it was the exact wrong time to do that. Um, Corey, I'd like to, you know, would like to ask you what what your uh, your thoughts are on that. Okay, well, I'll start off by the, uh, you know, it's, it's really difficult to comment on the, because it's a pending IV investigation. So, out of respect to that, um, the statement I will give is that if a crime had it committed, it should have been investigated last year, September in 2022. And, and the investigation will reveal that. But as far as the meeting itself, I mean, the audio and the behavior speaks for itself. Um, Pat Lynch created a mob-like atmosphere and created a dynamic that someone could have gotten hurt. When I first became a delegate, the meetings were like this. And um, to see a return of this unprofessional behavior, it was a really sad day for the PBA. But, but here, here's the thing, on a, on a macro level, this brand of leadership, it does a couple of things. One, it's a statement to the delegate body and to the membership that you better stay in your place. 
that you better stay in your place. And if you don't, you're going to be retaliated against. If you go against the president, God help you. But on another level, what it does, is it validates the negative perception that policymakers in the city and leaders in the city already have a Pat Lynch. And it doesn't help New York City police officers. Pat Lynch should have the foresight to know that this audio was going to be released. City leaders, you know, community leaders, police officers. More importantly, police officers are going to hear this video. And, you know, to, to my delight, after this video was, uh, like you mentioned, went viral, so many people have reached out to me in support. And... Um, including yourself. And uh, and a lot of people said the same thing that it was disgusting. And this coming from all the whole department. And, uh, you know, obviously um, some, you know, people from the community also reach out to me and say, Corey, this is, um, this wasn't right. And Pat Lynch kind of actually put the organization in from a liability standpoint, because God forbid, if someone had got hurt and, you know, I don't want to, you know, because of the investigation, I want to elaborate exactly what went on in that meeting. But I will say that, you know what, some of the, listen, some of these guys that was uh, shouting and screaming, man, they were parents, you know, they were husbands. And uh, to see the, the, the anger that they have, and I'm just like, for what? Because I decided to run for a PBA president. So listen, one of the, this is still America. And I think that when you created a paradigm from an organization that this great, and I believe in this organization, listen, I have 30, Going on 31 years on this job, I've been a PBA member, obviously the whole time, but I've been a union representative for 20 years. I love this organization. I love this department. And I want to make that abundantly clear. I am in, proud to be a New York City police officer. But what I saw that day, I was um, I was saddened. And listen, I want I don't want a pity party. You know, I don't, I don't want anyone to say, oh, I feel sorry for you, you know, for you. No, nah, I don't want that. But I just want the delegates and the membership to know that they should know and they should have the courage to say that, hey, that was wrong. And um, I think that when you listen to the audio, it kind of reveals that, that this was wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I lost a little bit of respect for Pat Lynch after that, after this. I'd like to say this. This is my... This is my analysis of that video. For one, I'm going to say this. There's several parts, components that I believe in this. For one, I believe that Pat Lynch wanted that video to leak. He knows that everyone's listening and everyone's watching. So I believe there's a big part of him that wanted that video leaked. Why? Because it sends a message. You are either with us or you're against us. Now, that's a problem. The problem has become, well, you're either with Pat Lynch and his crew or you're not. But Pat Lynch and his crew were supposed to be people. The people are the cops. You're supposed to represent and work for them. They're not supposed to work for you. And we lost that ideology. And I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable position, but it's the reality. You said that you didn't want anyone to get hurt. So I, John and I are pretty confident that something happened there, probably some physical altercation or maybe even more. It's completely unprofessional. And that's what John's talking about. If you want to challenge someone to be professional, they should have took it to the side in a professional meeting by himself and have a conversation like adults and gentlemen, but to put him on display and to have an all-out attack or an assault 
was just completely childish. And I compared it to this. We spoke on an early podcast. If you ever saw the movie called The Accused in the 80s, I don't know if you saw it, but it was... Anyway, the basis of the movie is that a woman gets raped in a bar, and she's held down to a pinball machine, and the, the men that raped her were were coached, and they were uh, they were uh, applauded by other men that were watching and clapping. The guys that raped her go went to jail, and then they eventually took the guys t- to court and prosecuted the ones that were clapping because they didn't help. They encouraged it and enabled it. And that's what happened here. They encouraged and enabled Patty, and they just kept, ste- you know, kept fueling him. Yeah, Patty, you got this. That was an atrocity. They work for the people. That's not the way it should be. Right. Well, I- I'll respond by simply saying, yeah, it was orchestrated. Um, you know, I, I, some of the some of the elements in audio, you're not going to just be able to 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 really see or hear, right? So as I'm speaking, they cut the mic down. Um, you know. Listen, it is what it is when it comes to that. But the one of the other concerns that I have is the um, fact that it's about choice. You know, we should have a situation in any election, right? That the members should have choice, but we represent members that are, you know, sometimes accused of some very, very serious things. And we afford them the opportunity for due process, right? And Unfortunately, this young man who, um, who, who, you know, obviously the things that were said about him didn't have due process. We can have a, a, a court of public opinion when only one side is told and the other doesn't afford the opportunity to do it. But in a situation where it's something that the allegation is, is of this seriousness, um, it should have been done in a, a little bit more of a formal private setting before it got even released to the delegate body. And if it did to the delegate body, it should not it should not have been done in that forum where everything was stacked against him and he wasn't afforded opportunity to speak. And if you heard the audio in its entirety, you know, um, John Belisi has threatened him, oh be careful. It's a public forum. You uh you can incriminate yourself. Um in reality is what what DA is going to take this case that's seven months old, six months old. I mean it's actually ludicrous. But again some of the things as far as the elements of the the actual allegation, I'm not going to comment on. But again, th- this young man wasn't afforded the, the due process. And, and and more importantly, I think it was a it, it was a larger statement, in my opinion, to, to, to kind of let the delegate body know that, hey, listen, can, this can happen to you as well. Um, so be careful, like what you alluded to, the side that you choose. But the reality is, in my opinion, and um, and maybe I'm not, it may is my naivety, you know, but I still believe in this organization. I do believe that this is uh, one of the greatest unions in the world. And um, and I want to be able to be in a position um, come May when the ballots go out for people to have choice. Listen, there are going to be people to possibly vote for Pat Lynch, you know, if he runs. You know, I mean, the reality is him and, and, and quite a few members of the board is not going to even be here to finish the term. But that's still based on the bylaws. That's still their choice. But the reality is um, all I am asking for, and I've always maintained this, is to have fair elections where people are not coerced, people are not um, being threatened or intimidated to 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 not execute or exercise their choice. So I think that this video, um, listen, I'm not going to speculate on what was the intent of Pat Lynch or the other board members. 
However, um, I do have a, a, a feeling that, you know, um, yeah, they did want this video released and it was aimed to, you know, kind of discredit myself and, and this young man. But listen, this guy is a military guy. He served his country. Um, again, he, he uh, he's an honest person. And um, and that's pretty much um, all I'm going to say to to avoid tainting the investigation. If the, in fact it becomes, no, absolutely. No, I appreciate that. I'm gonna. I just want to give my thoughts on it too, just because I've been getting a lot of messages, a lot of negative messages, because there's a lot of misinformation out of that. You know, a lot of people like I'm getting messages that look at this fucking perp all day long about. And I said, well, you know, and and I can't respond to everybody, so I'm just gonna respond here. Um, and my, my thing is, he is a member of tier three, former Marine. He is a huge threat to the PBA, to the PBA leadership. If this kid gets into a position of power, if Corey wins the election, if this kid wins the election, he is potentially the next PBA president after, after your, your terms out, right? Like when, when, once you age off this job, he will be, I believe he's a big threat. And I believe that. There was no leadership exhibited by Patrick Lynch in that meeting. He, he set the tone for the meeting. His mic had full volume. Your mic was getting cut down. Um, he could have set the tone if he would have told them to shut up. We're police officers, right? When we're told something, we stop. You know what I mean? He could have laid that down. You could have had the opportunity to speak. Uh, the, the former Marine, Anthony, couldn't have the opportunity to speak. They were not afforded that. And, and my biggest issue of all is we're here. You're, the organization is overwhelmingly, not overwhelmingly, the mission of the organization is to represent cops in labor disputes and represent cops in, in disputes that or in incidents that unfortunately we have on this job. And the leadership created an issue for this young man. If that was an issue in September, it should have been addressed in September. And, and, and the fact that it wasn't and it was done at a meeting in front of hundreds of people for political gain really makes me question the integrity of, of the allegation and the integrity of the members, too. Because if they, if they were either they were silent about wrongdoing and they didn't care because someone wasn't running about them or they, were, they could just completely lying, they weren't worried about it in September and now they're making an issue about it. And and they're lying in that way. So again, my 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 I question the integrity. I think it was very unprofessional. I think Pat Lynch owes everybody an apology. I think he owes the PBA members an apology. And um and and you know here's just one. Uh, and then Eric, if you don't mind asking the next question, but here's just one more for you. I uh, me and Eric have spoke about this offline. We believe that those meetings should be made public to the membership, not to us. Not for everybody to hear, not for the daily news, not for us to talk about on the on the on the New York Times trying to fill the podcast. <laughs> Something you would explore is giving those those audios over to the membership of the PBA. Well, listen, I, I do think that there needs to be a, a, a cultural shift in terms of the mindset, in terms of how <laughs> it's being done. You know, um one of the, the reasons why I pursue Anthony because of the fact that, you know, he's a he was a family man. He was a Marine. You know, he served his country and he was um, his maturity and intelligence is um, is definitely there. You know, he's more than qualified. Yeah, he, he, he met the criteria for for the position. But more importantly, I think that I, 
obviously the contract is the number one issue right now, right? Because of the time and, and everything else. And I know that I'm not going to go too much into, I don't want to beat your question or beat you to the question. However, we have to start looking at this organization, start positioning it for not just for this contract, but for five, 10 years from now. Listen, Patty's not going to be here forever. I mean, that's long been established. John Puglisi is not going to be here. Danny Torelli is not going to be here. These guys are, you know, towards not only the end of their, you know, they didn't have the end of their career in terms of age-wise, right? They're going to be, um, you know, aging out shortly. So I think I always thought that the organization should have start preparing the next generation of cops to start pursuing these things. You know, everybody's not going to be in a bad situation where the delegate really helped them out, but the, the, the organization had should have start preparing the, the, the new cops to understand how this PVA process works. And, and, and we haven't, um, we've done a very poor job with that. You know, actually last time when we had a tier three pension seminar and, you know, obviously there's some issues like COVID and stuff like that, but, but the, 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 the shift in the mindset to start looking at these things are, are important. The challenges ahead for this organization is tremendous. You know, you already have uh, um, uh, 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 people in the, in the community, um, in the city and across the country that, that views unions as the evil, evil something evil. And again, something like this kind of validates those perceptions. But we're not really like that. There's hardworking men and women in these unions. And, you know, I actually pray for these guys that, um, had, you know, that was engaged in this kind of behavior the other day. But, um, but I think it was, it was a, just a, a reminder of, listen, this union has some problems. And um, if anyone doesn't see that, then, you know, obviously this is my opinion, but if anyone doesn't see that, then I think they're sadly mistaken. But we have to start, you know, thinking about this union 10 years from now because these, these, these challenges and these issues are not going away. They're only going to increase. And when you start looking at the fact that something like this can, can, can influence contract talks, influence the disciplinary matrix it can it can can age my favorite these see how these cops as i told you they 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 doing it to themselves look what they do just imagine what they doing to to these kids in the street and that's some of the the things that i, I push back you know um john Buglisi came into my office one day and said hey hey listen Corey, i just want you to let you know that it's it's business moving forward i said john when has it ever been business i said i won my election I said, no one gave me shit. Excuse me. No one gave me anything. And I said, it's always been about business for, for, for me. I said, I'm one of the few trustees that when I go to these events and they find out who I am, they call you Nazis. They call you guys racists. And I'm for the last 11 years and I've been defending you guys wholeheartedly. And I still will because I don't think that you're racists. You know, I might think you something something else, but <laughs> but the reality is, I've always been about business. I'm conducting this election with integrity, and I'm doing everything the right way. Um, it's unfortunate this was um, a little bit of a bump in the road, but the um, but hey, that's just life. It's not feeling sorry. It's what do you do moving forward? And um, the support that I've been getting has been, you know, it's been it's been been great and uh and we're moving forward and um you know hopefully in may people will put their trust in me so. well you know what 
I mean, since we talked about the pitfalls of this being, let's flip this a little bit. Let's let's put a positive light on this. And, and why don't you tell us what areas do you believe that Pat Lynch, his administration, has been beneficial to the rank and file? How has he been positive to the rank and file during his administration? Well, you know, listen, I've always said I've always appreciated Pat Lynch's tenure. I've said that in, on, on my um, press conference. I've said it at the roll calls. I appreciate Pat Lynch for what he did for the organization. I just think that after 23 and a half years, you know, the organization is kind of stuck right now. So I think that is well documented some of the things he did with some of the salaries. But I think that right now, we like that fly trying to get through the window right now. You know, they, they see the other side, but we still kind of doing the same thing. But if they had to look to the to the to the left or the right of them, they would have saw that the, do- the door was open and they could have flew out and accomplished some of the goals. So that's that's some of the concerns that I have. I, like I said, I think that you know Pat Lynch has um, did great. I just think that um, every, everything has a season. I mean, it's in, I don't know, you know, you follow scripture. Everything has a season. You know, um, I just think that it's this time for the the organization to to start the transition and to prepare the next lead, group of leaders to take care of this organization before everybody leaves all at once. And then you left with um, newer leaders trying to figure it all out from, from, from scratch. And we can't afford to do that. We can't afford to have a brain drain all in one shot and then have, you know, uh, newer members not be transitioned, you know, from, from incrementally into these roles because, you know, tier three, tier two, well, the majority of job is tier three. I don't have the exact percentages, but it has to be in the high 80s. You know, probably 80, 85 plus percent of the membership is tier three right now. So we, it's prudent for us to start saying that, hey, you know, these young men and women who are um, of these uh, new pension tier have to start looking at the organization. Now, that doesn't mean hand it to them on a silver platter, but it just means um, creating a, a um, I like to use the word mindset understanding that hey listen this this could be a, a career for you this could be some opportunities for you and more importantly focus on how to make things better for new york city police officers could you give us any specific any specifics of what areas that pat lynch and his administration that they implemented or something that they carried out from the generation prior to him that preceded them that has been beneficial to the rank and file as we speak well, I, I think that um, just, you know, right off the bat, I mean, I, I think they did a great job initially with the with the salaries. You know, there was a lot of stuff done legislatively um, that has benefit the cops, um, you know, going to PERP. That was like the big thing, being able to create uh, the dynamic where we were able to actually use PERP. And that has benefited some of the cops or not some, all of the cops. Um, in terms of salary scale, to try to get us to market rate of pay, so that's a, uh, you know, some of the, some of the lawsuits. Um, another one is the um, the uh, tier three being able to get them back to three quarters. That that was a tremendous uh, accomplishment. You know, um, when the when when the governor passed and you know vetoed the bill that created all new hires to go into this new pension tier, you know, there were some shortfalls in terms of pension. God forbid if they got hurt, it would have been a life lifetime of poverty. You know, and uh, when when this new pension tier got created, a lot of people didn't know understand some of the um, the challenges that were ahead. You know, in terms of the the, the diminishing of the benefits. Um, so 
you know, I've I've made I've been on record many times. And in fact, that was one of the reasons why in 2015, you know, um, when Patty asked me to join the ticket, I did because um, because of all many successes that he had. So those are just two of um, there's just a couple of some of the things that he did do well. I, I listen. I don't agree with the perb. I I think it dragged it out. I definitely don't agree with that. Um, uh, but what do you think? So, you know, we said what you think he did beneficial. Um, what do you think that he needs improvement on? Like, what what areas? And do you believe there's been any major failures? Well, I can respond by saying that, like, for example, when you look at this contract, I think that um, listen, history has shown that when you go this long without a contract that we just don't fare well. So one of the, there's a couple of concerns that I have and is that whenever we do, first of all, we're a municipal agency, so we're going to get a contract and we're probably going to get it in a relatively short period of time. Right. It's what we meet in this week and um, you know, we'll, we'll see what we got, but the concern I have is that, you know, one inflation is going to erode it. And when you start looking and, and you know, start doing these kind of economics on the, you know, how how inflation is going to impact this contract. And if, in fact, if we do get a contract and, in fact, if we get a multi-year deal, it's going to be somewhat of a pattern bargaining similar to that of DC 37. You know, we may get a little bit of a, um, of a, of a lift in terms of the percentage because, you know, we're a uniform agency. And, you know, so that's one of my concerns that is it going to be a variation of the pattern, right? But I think that one of the one of the concerns that I have was this. When we started to see that this contract was going, listen, at the end of the day, if we get a million dollars on this contract, right, you know, the president's going to take credit for it. But if you don't, he's going to blame someone else. There's always someone else's fault when things don't go according to plan. However, with that being said, I, I think that um, we kind of ignored the economists. We knew that a couple of years ago that we was going to go into a, either a slowdown or a recession or and there's, a, there's an argument for both. So if you knew that this was going to be a happen, that when we get to the stage that we kind of follow this, the, the trail in terms of this contract talks, that we were going to be in the middle of uh, some serious economic times in the city. And, and, and even from a global perspective, I just felt that we should have had conversations to see whether or not there was any other alternatives. You know, they were always coming after the medical. So no matter two years ago, three years ago, whatever it was, they was going to come after the medical just like they're doing now. So that 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 wasn't going to be something that wasn't that was, that was going to always be in existence, but I think we hinged the bet or hedged the bet on on this part, and that's not to say that we sh we would not have pursued and continued with the same, you know, plan, but we never had these conversations, and if the conversations did occur, they they weren't known to the membership, so therefore, you know, there was one point in time and when as a trustee, when members start to ask you questions about what's going on with the contract, you really couldn't tell. Some of the trustees was actually going into saying, yeah, we're going to get it in May. Yeah, we're going to get it at before the summer. We're going to get it after the summer. No, we're going to get it Labor Day. No, we're going to get it before Thanksgiving and so forth and so on. And mm -hmm. year after the fact, you know, we're still waiting. But now I think that we're coming to a point where we're going to get some resolution on it. But again, I think that one of the concerns and challenges that um, I think is going to come with it is one, how much inflation is going to erode it, and then two, uh, whether there's going to be a variation of the pattern. And New York City cops deserve more than that. Well, 
kind of answered the next question I was going to ask you, right? We know that they've been without a contract now for over six years. So well, obviously, not obviously it wasn't handled correctly. What's that? It wasn't quite six years, but we're approaching it. We're approaching it. So uh, it, it, nonetheless, it, it, it's a substantial amount of time. I mean, we're getting closer to a decade than, than we are closer to uh, going back to five years. So in this round of negotiations, what, what would you, if you were the PBA president, what would you have done differently in this round of negotiations? What would be your game plan? How would you set this up? How would you keep up with the inflation? John and I have made this argument, and, and we're talking about compound interest that's being lost throughout, uh, throughout the years as, as it goes on. And I, I agree with you, inflation, and we just can't keep up. Right. Uh, and by the time this contract is completed, you get yesterday's dollar today. So wh what do you think you would have done differently? How would you set the tone? And, what, and where do you see is the importance of going with this contract? John talks about it many times. Sometimes you have to take a zero. What do you think about that? Well, I don't think we should ever take a zero. However, to John's point, I was accused of saying that I want to take a zero. Right. But when you look at some of the contracts that did take a zero, one of the things that you can um, deduce if you look at the economics and this strictly economics, uh, when, it, when, it, when you take a zero, say, for example, for three months. And I think that that's what the sergeant's contract did. Right. That money d does get compounded. So I think that as a, if I was the president, I would have looked at these contracts from a little bit more of a holistic standpoint, meaning that. You have to look at every aspect of a cop's life when approaching these contracts, right? So what I mean by that is simple. If you were to, let's face it, hopefully we get retro, right? So if we get the retro, many members are going to be in position to buy a home. But right now, today, if you buy a home, you're looking at it, what, 7% interest rate? Versus eight months ago, you might have been looking at it three. So then how, 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 how valuable is your dollar now if we are faced with some of these circumstances of rent going up and, and, and things of these sorts. So the first thing I would have did was um, I would have listened to the economists. And from that standpoint, if you know that you are going to be faced with a detrimental situation of um, having, for example, the, the inflation erode the contracts, then the goal is to see how you can get contracts done in a timely manner without these long stretch outs. And I think that um, we've been guilty of having these long stretch outs. So when you look at some of the other agencies, MTA, Suffolk, you know, Nassau, you look at their contracts and you look at the percentages they got, they didn't, they didn't get 20% raises. They didn't get 15% raises, but they got these raises incrementally over a short period of time without having to wait. Now, um, now, now here's where my opinion comes in. Um, I think Patty through a number of different political moves and maybe in personality, um, people who make these policy decisions in terms of contract, anything else, they're not really dealing with it. And I think that um, that has hurt the cops. So I think that we had to kind of reestablish some of these relationships. And, you know, cause I think that when you start having these conversations with some of these, um, these community leaders and these policy makers, you know, there's a real big misperception about the PBA. Um, and the video, the audio that you heard is kind of, the perception that they have. These things, I believe, hurt cops. Not only do they hurt police officers, but they hurt the department in general. Many people think that the PBA actually made policies for the department. 
And then when you start to explain that, sometimes the, the relationship is a little bit more of an adversarial one. They're like, they, they're surprised about that. So I think that in terms of if I was president, you know, I would, like I said, I would ignore the, the I would not ignore the evidence of, of, of the, the economics. But I think that we have to kind of start reevaluating the strategies of, you know, when you go to PERB, you know that these stretch outs is going to be four or five years sometimes. And we have to kind of figure out a way of how to get these contracts done in a timely basis without having these stretch outs. Because you can go back to 95. The elements were there. We went a long time without a stretch out and we got zeros. And um, and again, history shows that when you go this long without these contracts, you know, I mean, to, to settle a contract, things just don't go right. So that's one of the first things that I would do. It was like, yo, listen, and we have to get together. And that's where having a diversity of ideas is very, very important. And there's a lot of talent on this job. You know, when you look at this department, even among the trustee and the board, there is a lot of smart guys and smart women on this job that we can figure this out. But when you come from one vantage point and, and you do not deviate from that vantage point, you're going to have problems, especially when you saw it like, a, like I alluded to a little earlier. This union and unions in general are under attack, but we have to be in a position where we can we have to look at the evidence, look at the economics and then start making prudent decisions from that standpoint versus hold. We're, we're not going to take a zero. Even if we go eight years, we're not going to take a zero. And that's not necessarily is a, a definable success by just not getting zero. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean. Like, you know, to, listen, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And sure. I, you know, so like, I'm not saying that oh, I would have did this and I would have did that. I'm just saying like, looking back on these last six years, I think it was, the, it was the exact wrong move. I don't fault Pat Lynch for wanting to get more for members though. I mean, that's his job, right? To, right. to do that. But Absolutely. I do believe those, those three months of zeros were way more valuable than the six years we've lost. And that's what, and that was always my argument. And I don't think that the, the, they understand that when I'm talking about that on social media, I'm not really attacking them. I'm just saying the economics of it. Now it's a bad, it, it, it turned out to be a bad thing. Like, and, and just admit it. Right. You know, and I think going forward, like you said, that's the way to go. And I, I do believe that's why with the disparity now between pay and other agencies in New York is so great because exactly like you said, they're taking these small numbers, boom, boom, but they're always up to date and we're always out of date and right. we're always going to perv. And I think it's a horrible strategy. And I, I think that it affected all of us. Right. You know? um, well, well, I'll defend Patty on this. Um you know, it's it's it could be political suicide if you say, hey, let's take a zero. You know what I'm saying? That's that's just the reality. But I think that um, it starts with the education. And and hence, you know, going back to the financial literacy thing, you know, um, some some, you know, understanding how economics work and how money is compounded and how, you know, when you look at just in terms of your personal, we do things in our personal investments. Right. We look at the fur comp. We invest every two weeks into deferred comp and whether the market is up and down, we're making these investments. You know, obviously when the market is up, we're making a smaller contribution, but the market is low, we're making a bigger one. But the goal is to have these things compounded as often and as frequent as you can. That's how your money grow. But that's more of an education. And, and again, in, in defense of the president, 
Um, you know, he is in a catch 22 because remember when he came into office, his, his platform was based on the fact that we had those zeros in 95. So from 95 to 99, we ran, we went through, um, Bill Caruso, Lou Manorazzo, Doc Savage, and then he came. So we went in four years, we went through, you know, uh, yeah, four, four years, we went through four PBA presidents, you know, and that was a direct result of the fact that the Phil Caruso took, you know, took those zeros. So I can understand Patty's position or reluctancy to look at contracts in another vein, but you still have to, no matter what you do have to do, you have to look at the economics and the reality of the economics. Are we going to get a 10% raise or 12% raise that we rightfully deserve? When you look at the city, right? You look at the city when 32 first opened on Carolyn Franklin from when we moved from the subway station, there was a crack house right across the street. People sticking their fingers through the cinder block. And then now today there's a condo. New York City police officers is responsible for the growth and the development in this city. Nothing against school, school lunch cafeteria workers or or the PAs in the command, but it was the cop on the street, the man and woman on the subway platform and these housing developments and these patrol cars was the entity that took this city back and made it grow, right? And we should be compensated for that, but the city is behind us. So when you, when you have these kind of dynamics that existing at the same time where we deserve more, right? And at the same time, the city is fighting us, we have to create an economic strategy and approach to do, dealing with these contracts and that goal is to get these contracts on a timely, timely, timely basis. And when the economics suggest that you make a decision that might be unpopular, as a leader, you have to, to have the courage to say, well, listen, right now, because of the economics, we have to see if there's another alternative. And I'm stating to you all that I don't think we did that. If we had to have these conversations and had the experts say, well, hey, listen, it's smart to go according to plan, then by all means, if we collectively came to that conclusion, then we should have mm. But we didn't do that. I agree with you. I like what you're saying. And I think that's where he faulted, is that he has to understand as a leader that things do evolve and they change. His platform, what he started, was to oppose the zeros that they had taken. But that was a different time. It was different economics, and they were in a different situation. But as time evolved, I think that was the opportunity as a leader for him to take that leadership role and say, listen, that was my platform then. Things have evolved. But right now, it's not worth spending a dollar to make a quarter. And I feel, unfortunate. that's what happens when we extend this amount of time. We spend all this time in PERB to get a raise to not get a zero which ultimately we may end up losing some things with medical or health and welfare, whatever the case is, what we sometimes I feel we spend a dollar to make a quarter. And sometimes like John said, to get a zero for three months to keep you on par, maybe worth it. So you, it's the inch game, you know, to, to constantly just get a little bit, little increments to stay with the course. Once you elapse too much time at this point, you lose that compound interest. You can never get back. It's just irreplaceable. And it's going to take years to get back to a point that they could, be on par with someone else or just be, you know, a livable standards in New York city. And like you said, they're going to get money now to want to buy a house, but that's money that could have been in their pension. And, and, and again, they're behind the eight balls. They pro Most of our cops I'm going to assume are probably have credit card debt right now. They might be behind in their mortgages because it's just not enough. And I know I worked in the South Bronx and how did everybody uh, keep up? 
Well, they start looking at houses in Westchester. Obviously, where you go, you go, you go to Rockland after that. It's just too expensive. And then as you're in Rockland, the realtor takes them to Orange County. And, they, and these cops live so far around Orange County, they're almost in Pennsylvania. So it's already taxing on them. The amount of time that it takes them to get to work, to commute, it's exhausting. Right. And that's what happens to most of these cops. It's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, and, and, and to your point, you know, they're supposed to be coming up with the new um, tours. And I think they started with the, with the Bronx first because uh, they said that cops in the Bronx have the longest commute. So, you know, obviously the experiment had to be done on the, them first. But you brought up an interesting point. Not only the you're not compounding the interest on your pension, right? But there's lost other lost investment opportunities. Like I said, deferred comp is obviously the the, the one that we're most familiar with. How much yes. money did we actually lose because you didn't create put that extra thirty bucks, forty bucks, you know, depending on what you, with your your um your contribution percentage is? How much money did we lost over a twenty year period? You know, so these are the kind of the mindset that when we go into these contracts that we have to think about. We can't just look at the, you know, compartmentalize the contract as an entity by itself. You know, there's, there's cops that are complaining about the fact that they haven't, they struggling with childcare. You know, they, they can't afford it anymore. They're working all this hour overtime and, you know, childcare issues become important. This is why, you know, one of the things that I'm, um, you know, really, really um, passionate about is that we now have to focus on these quality of life issues. These quality of life issues by, I, I can't even tell you how many, how, how many times members has come to us and myself, they're saying that, listen, um, I just want to be home with my family. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I want to take my kid to, to, to his basketball game. You know, th these are the things that the organization have, um, and, and it's not all the organization's fault, so I want to make that very clear. But from a from a from a mindset point of view, I think that you know we're so focused on the the contract by itself, independently by itself, that sometimes by default these other things kind of don't get the attention that it deserves. Yeah, so I mean, I I think that's a good point. It goes into like you 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 basically led into into the next question. Manpower is a huge issue, and you know it's it's you know we, we could go back and forth on why cops are leaving the NYPD. Particularly, I don't I don't think we need to get into that because there are so many reasons, right? There are a lot of reasons. Uh, uh, being overworked is one of them. The COVID mandates sit highly up there. In my opinion, it's the number one. I've we, I go back and forth with everyone, but what are your opinion on the COVID mandates as a whole? Like as the city instituted them for the public, and as the city instituted them for the the workers, specifically members of the PBA. Well, you know, I was always you know poor choice. You know, many of the members, you know, for listen, I have two guys on the team, including Anthony. They 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 were anti mandate people. You know, so I think that the way I was assembling a team, it was a diversity of uh, political uh, opinions and diversity of, uh, you know, these kind of social issues. But, um, you know, I think, you know, um, the mayor dropped the ball on this. I think there was an op opportunity when he came into office, there was an out. You know, I, I think that when you start looking at the percentages of people that was actually, you know, vaccinated, you know, I thought that he had an opportunity to say, hey, listen, you know, we've got this amount of people. The, the science is dictating that, you know, this is not a threat. 
Um, you know, cops are not as getting sick as they were in the, in the, in the beginning of this whole um, pandemic. And, um, you know, but for whatever the reason, he didn't do it. Right. So, you know, fortunately, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, he, he made it optional for current and um, future employee city employees. But then now what, what do we do with the guys that left? Right. The ones that was forced out, you know, um, these these are the big concerns of the members. And you know, I've been getting calls for the last two weeks, especially if guys wanted to come back, you know, could they realize some of the guys are realizing and young ladies when they realizing when they left the job, they weren't able to replace that income. Right. So as a result of that, they some of these some of them are making the, the, the conscious choice to come back for a myriad of reasons. And it's not a right or a wrong, but they they coming back. And um, what is the city's response? You know, he says no back pay. There's some, um, there's some conditions. And 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 to Pat Lynch's credit, you know, he he did come out with a statement and said that these guys should come back. They should be made whole. Uh, but the question becomes, well, how do you make someone whole? How do you how do you make someone whole when they sold their house because they they saw that they was going to get terminated or you know was going to be able to come back to the job for their personal reasons, whether it's a, just a plain or simple choice, whether it's, you know, um, religious or whatever the, the reason, how do you make a guy whole when he just sold his house? Now, if he ha did have the money to buy a house, he's paying a 7% interest rate, right? Three years, four years ago when he bought it, he paid a 2.7 interest rate. So now he can't even afford the same, buy that same house that he sold. You know, so it is a very complex issue. But I do think that I was, I advised a member today. I said, listen, man, if you're going to come back, come back, fight this battle internally. But if you're going to try to wait to to be made whole before you come back, I, th I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Why? Because I don't even think that the costing of how much the, I don't even think the city has an idea of the costing to even make these guys whole. So I think that when these guys come back, there might be an opportunity in the future to to kind of um, reevaluate these uh, these discussions about um, compensating members. Listen, buying back the time is a big one because based on the um, the current policy, I believe that if you come back, you're not going to be able to buy that time back. You know, if you're tier two, you can. But if you're tier three, which a, a good percentage of these members who are coming back are tier three, they, as of right now, they're unable to buy their time back. So, um, you know, these are many of the questions and the concerns that I've had as a, um, you know, as, as a, a, a union rep. And as, um, you know, these complex issues and there's more to come, you know, there's probably um, questions, concerns about this policy. Um, you know, what if another super pandemic come about? Right. They, they talk about all these things now. You know, is the same thing going to happen again. You know, or in 10 years, is this going to be another situation where these guys may be forced to make these kind of choices? But at the end of the day, I think the city got it wrong. You know, I think the uh, from the from the former administration and, um, you know, if there's a good thing, at least um, he lifted mandate. You know, um, is it a little too late? You know, obviously that's debatable, but at least he lifted. At least some guys are not, you know, coming to work with this with the stress of wondering whether or not they're going to get fired. You know, so um, sometimes you got to look to see the the good and within the bad or something that's optimistic or positive in a, in a situation like this. But you know, for the record, I mean, people say that I I was telling them to go get this go get the jab. I've never, I've never ever said that. Um, first, first of all, it goes against my own beliefs. Um, you know, just for the record, I do, I did get the shot, but, um, you know, I suffer from really bad asthma from 9-11.
And uh, so, um, you know, I was very concerned, you know, about my personal health and I, and I got the shot. But as far as uh, telling people to go get the shot um, for the sake of getting it, now I've never advised people on that. Um, but, you know, politics are politics and they're going to say whatever they, they, they're going to say about that. But, you know, um, I stand by that. Um, you know, I don't think that some of the members would have joined me if I had had that policy, you know, a belief that, hey, get the shot, get the jab, you know. Uh, no one's really complaining about it. Most of the guys has gotten the, got the shot anyway, so go just go get it. I never said that. And uh, I want to make that very, very clear in this um, in this uh, podcast. And, I, and I, again, I thank you both for affording me the opportunity to say that. Absolutely. I mean, Eric, if you don't mind, I just want to follow up on one thing. It's just no, I figured that I got a question, but I know this is your baby. I was like, go ahead, brother. <laughs> no, because so my my take on the whole situation is he still hasn't lifted the mandate, right? I'm very happy for the members that actually are still there. And it took very a long time to get through. So I'm very happy that those those guys, specifically in 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 all of the NYPD, not just and and in the rest of the city, whoever was waiting, very happy that they didn't have to make that decision. But I do feel that the offer to reapply is a slap in the face. The offer of no back pay is a slap in the face. I do believe people should be reinstated. Uh, it's my opinion the union should be fighting for that. Um, to be full reinstated and the option. You sold your house. Do you want to come back? Do you have to come back? Because there was a legal action on the part of New York City and and these court cases are proving that time and time again. Um, and it was my contention because I felt out on island. I wasn't a member of the PBA. I was a member of the LBA. I felt out on island by myself. I wasn't made aware of Article 78. I wasn't made aware of a lot of things. But I do believe that those were not personal issues. Now, I didn't hear this from the PBA, but I did hear this from my representatives, that this was a personal issue and I have to fight it on my own. I do believe the union should have stepped up and not whether it was cost effective to file legally for each one or to hold seminars about religious, about medical or about filing a lawsuit. Because I do believe you don't even need, although I did file a religious and a medical exemption, I do believe that you don't even need an exemption because it was contractually it, the, the mandate violated our rights as employees as well. So. How do you feel that the PBA handled the situation properly or as best as they could, or could they have done anything else or would you have done anything else? Well, I mean, I, I don't know how serious they thought this issue was going to be in, uh, from the onset. I remember when I started getting calls from my members in the, in the transit bureau and I started hitting the commands and man, I was getting kicked in the teeth with uh, not, I mean, not, you know, it wasn't directed at me, but the, the energy um, at which people were were passionate about this uh, vaccine. I mean, uh, it was like, like, wow, um, this is a this is going to be a very, very, very important issue. So, you know, from that regard, you know, obviously that's debatable. Um, you know, obviously I have my opinion that, you know, maybe they didn't think that it was going to evolve to this. Uh, so then the, the question goes to like, what what exactly could we have done? Could we have not done? Um, for the most part, you know, and like if you had a crystal ball, you can always say, hey, we should have did this, we should have did that. Um, you know, um, these court cases are very expensive. Um, as you know, some of the, I think I was talking to someone today, actually, 
and uh, she she got reinstated. And I think she said that her her attorney was like something like ten thousand. So um, you know, so when you do it from a uh, from a standpoint of you know, say paying for everyone seventy eight, you know that that definitely would have been a huge expense. And then when you when you measure it against the fact that you know you know how it goes. Well, hey, you did it for them. Hey, what are you going to do for me? Whatever the next issue come up. So these are kind of like the challenges that the organization have and the president himself have. So I do think that once we did get on board, um, you know, we we did exhaust um, some of the the legal channels. But a little bit. And, uh, you know, I obviously just talking to some of the members of the team, you know, you know, like that was a great point you said about explaining the guys having seminars to understand how these things are working what are the challenges you know one of the things i had proposed to one of the board members i was like well listen are we going to have a talking point on this because it's one thing to um listen everybody's you know um expertise about the the vaccine it, it kind of varies but if we had a, had a talking point explaining to the membership what exactly are we dealing with what are the challenges what are the court challenges and 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 for the legal precedents in the past, what what were they? You know, um, not to say that this would have fixed everything, but at least optically, the members would have felt that we were doing something more. And then it could have been also an opportunity to 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 have a, an expression of thought. Say, hey, well, what what about this? What about that? And maybe we could have been included that in some of our strategies and have moved it forward. So. Um, you know, obviously, you know, everybody's not going to agree, you know, with the same thing as far as how how this was approached. But, um, you know, but that kind of what happens when you have these unprecedented events like this. You know, I mean, in my 30 years, I, I can't recall of, um, you know, outside of 9-11, you know, because the same thing kind of sort of happened with uh, guys who were getting sick. You know, um, it was that was that's the only thing that I can kind of say that kind of was close to this, um, you know, as far as the. Um, you know, well, what is the union supposed to do about this? You know, and I think that's the kind of the challenge. But it goes back to what I was saying before about um, the culture of the organization being open to new ideas, you know, and, and instead of saying, hey, well, this is what I think. And if the opinion, you know, kind of opposes that or differs from that, there's a reluctance to um, to hear it. And I think that, um, you know, if the members were to put my, you know, put their trust in me come again this May, June, um, I will assure them that these kind of uh, cl maybe closed minded opinions about how things are supposed to be, it's not going to happen. You know, we can't afford anymore mm -hmm. to, 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 to kind of stay in a particular lane and stay there. You know, this is the time where we have to be fluid. This is the time where, you know, we have to be able to be flexible in terms of our thought process. And um, is that a is that a symbol of age? I mean, you know, that that in itself is debatable as well. But I, I do know I say, you know, this issue with the vaccine is very, very, very important issue to the membership. And there's a perception that the PBA and the other unions didn't handle it right. But um, but I do think that, um, you know, um, we're not going to get always get it right. And 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 then when we don't get it right, we had to acknowledge that maybe hey we didn't get it right here. We I always say to my members, I said you got to hold me accountable for what goes right and wrong. You can't just say hey when things are gravy and and, and things are well, hey I take credit for that. But then when things don't, hey nah that was my fault. You know, it's always someone else's fault sometimes with this organization. And um, 
you know, um, I, but again, to Patty's defense, um, he didn't have a crystal ball. The organization have a crystal ball. But I do think that moving forward, maybe this could be a learning lesson for, for other issues that's going to come and face this organization. I appreciate the stuff you said. Obviously, no one knew where we'd be at this point in the world. I mean, with this pandemic, post-pandemic, I mean, the world has changed completely. I, I agree with that. So I have some questions, but before I go to that, I just want to say, though, I agree. Guys should get their job back. I'm, ha I'm happy also that it was lifted. But what I do take big issue, and I'll say this, I took the vaccine, I took the shot, but I stand for freedom, I stand for choice, sure. and I support John in this. And um, what I take big issue to is the fact that if someone is going to reapply, that they have to waive their civil rights. I have a huge problem with that. I mean, that should be, that, that should be uh, the red flag for the union. They should be screaming, yelling, and hollering about that right now, particularly about waiving your civil rights. Uh, so, obviously, like you said, we don't have the crystal ball. So, if you were the PBA president at the time, and if we knew we would be where we are at today, would you, as the PBA president, would you assist your members or have some type of system to assist them in filing for medical and religious exemptions? Would you assist them in their Article 78s? And if so, do you think that the PBA should, or would you as PBA president represent those members investing, retiring those that are being forced out? I know you, you mentioned it, that it would be costly, but would that be something that you would put into the budget? Would you assist those members? Because John and I argue this, we spoke about this on this podcast, that this is probably the largest contributing factor to the mass excess. Do you think it'd be worth spending the dollar or driving the, the bank to this particular issue? Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to have to be looked at, you know, um, what exactly the policy would be, you know, at, right now in, in, in my role right now as the, the trustee, it's impossible to, to understand those kind of economics. So but 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 the short answer is, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that we should have created something uh, from a financial standpoint to try to assist these members. You know, the, the question begins, you know, OK, well, is every single time this is, you know, this happens. How, how often do you assist the members? But um, I think that we've done a better job with the 9-11 stuff, you know, with uh, some of the cases with 9-11 when guys were getting sick. Um, you know, it might have been a bigger pool of people who um, who actually got sick. So I don't know. I can't today. I can't tell you what was the costing of that versus what would be the costing of the vaccine issue. But I do think that there was some funds that might have been allocated and maybe we can, you know, start, you know, maybe partnering up with some of these um, legal defense to try to see if, you know, if you had a group kind of thing, you know, whether or not that that can offset the cost, you know, um, maybe some of these attorneys. And, and, I, and obviously this is just, um, you know, me kind of talking off um, just from, you know, off the cuff, you know, there's not necessarily anything that's scientific. It is nothing more than a thought, but these are, the, the maybe the new angles in which when we have these kind of cases that we have to kind of explore all kind of opportunities and not necessarily say, well, hey, listen, it might be a situation where the cost may not have to be covered by the PBA. You know, you might say, OK, who, who could do this pro bono? You know, because sometimes there's the mere fact that, you know, a group of lawyers, you know, can get together. They can minimize the costing from that standpoint, share files, you know, and maybe we could facilitate those kind of um, aspects as to 
how you can keep the cost down. So it's going to cost a member $10,000, but um, to do a case. And, and I just throw that number on because that was told to me today. But could there have been another way to get that from $10,000 to $6,000 or $7,000? This way would be a, a, a easier pill to swallow if you had to come up with that at pocket. But, you know, I'm not sure if we did that. Um, I'm not even sure whether or not, you know, the organization from the presidential standpoint felt that what we did already was was enough. Obviously, the members don't feel that way. Right. But again, in addition to what we have done, maybe we could. These are some of the, the aspects that we can do. So, so, for example, and I'm kind of going back to the platform a little bit. But one of the things that I had um, was proposing that we had um, create some sort of system where we can assist members with child care. Right. And. I was questioned by one of the trustees, um, well, how are we going to pay for that? So, well, listen, you know what? Just like they said, you know, how, how did we get to the moon? And I don't want to be, you know, so cliche-ish, but we had to have the will to do it. So it's not about how we're going to pay for it. We got to see, can we pay for it? If we look at these vendor contracts, if we see how we can cut costs there, um, maybe we might have to make an investment into that. You know, I think DC 37 actually have a pool where the city actually make these contributions. Listen, we have a growing demographic of young women on, on the job right now who are single, not even single, just young women of, of childbearing age. When, I, when we came on the job, it wasn't that many, but now you have a growing pool. So, you know, women are traditionally the, 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 the caretakers of children. So to answer your question before, and I, please uh, forgive me if I'm going off topic, but I'm just trying to go into a point that these are the kind of thought process that a modern union have to now start um, committing to, to offer services that we didn't necessarily offer in the past to the, the, the membership that's on the job now, you know, and um, I think it can be done. So to answer your question in short, yeah, I, I think that there, there, there could have been some opportunities to help financially assist members who are in, in listen, it's and it's some of the things is a case by case scenario, you know. So it's not you can't blanket everything and say that every you know body should you know should um, be in a situation where they have their thing paid for. But I do think that um, there were some opportunities, um, whereas we can have see whether or not there was um, an opportunity to help guys financially with these um, very very expensive court court filings. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. No, I appreciate thank you, you explaining that. And, uh, no, I, and I agree. And and you know, one one of the things, one of the reasons why I started this podcast is I really felt that the men and women in the police department didn't have a voice. And so, just a message to you, Pat Lynch, somebody else runs against you, whoever it is, whoever's in leadership, you know, I I really felt like. And, and, and I spoke to a lot of people in all different ranks that the unions didn't do enough as far as where things that didn't cost money, like as far as using their pulpit, as far as the, you know, you, you have a huge social media following. You guys have a huge social media presence. You know, one of the things I did during COVID was I would highlight an officer and I would take like, oh, hey, look, this guy saved a baby. This guy pulled somebody from the train. This guy saved someone and he was fired. You know, and that was one thing I think going forward that I think the men and women in, in all of the New York City apartment would would appreciate. So I, I don't really, you know, and I just that's just a point of note. And I just, you know, you know, you were talking about exploring new ideas. And that's I just wanted to throw that out there. Sure. I yeah. appreciate that. You know, 
Um, and, uh, you know, we have the most complained uh, cop number one on 58 here. So, Eric, you could uh, ask uh, Corey all the, you know, discipline's a huge issue. So, you know. Yeah, why not? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, CCRB is my baby. So, I guess let's jump off topic with, with the COVID mandates and let's talk about CCRB. So, in your opinion, CCRB investigation allegations, uh, CCRB itself, them investigating allegations, do you think they're doing it properly and do you think they're acting appropriately? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I was talking to, um, you know, I, I don't want to say crazy, but I was talking to a city, uh, state assembly person the other day and, 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 and her positions are, and she's one of these, you know, democratic socialists, anarchists, I don't know what the hell you call them. And she said something that was uh, disturbing to me. She said that, um, you know, we don't need police, right? And I'm like, and, and it seemed like it's going a little off track a little bit. I was like, it is a black female. So I was like, where the hell do you live where you say you don't need the police? And she lived in Ebbets Field, um, the housing um, uh, building in uh, the 7-1. And I said, you know, what? I'm very familiar with that building. And I said, listen. That building need the police more than anyone else. But I think that um, with this whole reform program, because let's face it, the CCRB, whether CCRB or the, the, the new disciplinary matrix is kind of fall with under that umbrella, right? That category. And the, and, the, and the reality is this, we went so far left that the policymakers and the, and the people that create legislation in this city created uh, unintended consequence of hurting the people that they was actually trying to protect. Black and brown and poor people need the police more than anyone in this city. And that I will say that to any politician or any community leader that I have a conversation for. Black people need the police. Spanish people need the police. These communities where we live need the police and need police resources more than anyone else. But in addition to that, it has hurt cops. These policies has hurt cops. And I give you an example that I used the other day. Someone who makes a simple administrative error, like not turning on their body cam. Mathematically, when you look at the costing and vacation days that it can cost them, will be worth more or can be valued more than someone that goes out and commits a robbery and takes someone's cell phone. That is nuts. That is. Yeah, that's right. If I can curse on this show, I would say that. That uh, is nuts. Oh, when you, have, you can't. I heard a podcast. Sorry, I thought you listened to the podcast because uh, the other day I was counting it. I was up to like 15. <laughs> yeah, but 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 but, but in, in, in all seriousness, um, it's ludicrous. When you have a situation where cops are afraid to do their job, Right. Or 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 feel that they're going to get cops are more afraid of the job than they are of bad guys in the streets. And when you have that dynamic, who suffers the most when cops are not doing their job is the people in these communities. Listen, let's face it. The the, the billionaire on uh, Park Avenue or wherever they live in the city, they don't need police. Right. But the person on Livonia and uh, Rockaway, they need the police. On Fordham Road, they need the police. On Jamaica Avenue, we need the police. So when you have bad policy that's created, these people are the ones that get hurt the most. 
But in addition to that, you have cops who go out there and do their job every single day, putting their lives on the line every single day. And to tell me that you think that is okay for someone to get five vacation days because they forgot to turn in their camera. And we're not even talking about the person that deliberately didn't shut off their camera. We're talking about an accident. But, you know, policy, they they, they broad base. You go you go to this point, you go down and you go across. Okay, it's this amount of days. I had a member of my command uh, in one of the commands in transit, 80 vacation days. 80 vacation days. Now, it's not, you know, fully over. They may reduce the penalty, whatever, hopefully. But what are they going to reduce the penalty to if he got an 80-day hit? What is the value? I can't even tell you what the value is on a 80 vacation days. But I can tell you one thing. It's going to be worth more than someone that probably shoots somebody. If someone probably shoots someone, their case is probably not going to be what 80 vacation days is valued at. But the, here's the interesting thing. When you start having conversations with some of the people who are, like, say, just kind of like um, have a perception about what reform is really about, and you start explaining to them these things, the first thing they say is, that, wow, I didn't know. But then you say to yourself, well, how do you not know? Well, I surmise that, you know what, the PBA and the current president wasn't at the table to have us sit down or be part of these conversations on how you discuss this. And that's one of the things that I've have uh, been been um, complaining about over the last few years. Pat Lynch is no longer in a situation. We lost our political will. The PPA has lost our political will to to affect that kind of policy here in New York City, and everybody is suffering from it. So I, I think that um, again. And I, and, I, and, I, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that when elected, I'll be able to f- facilitate these conversations again. Do I think I'm going to solve anyone's problem? I'm not going to BS you and say that because I'll be lying to you. But in terms of creating these opportunities, I think I'll be able to create these opportunities where, whether it's me with the mayor or anyone else in the city. You know, I, I've taken pride over the last 11 years and even when I was on patrol that, um, you know, I, I've been able to, you know, be able to build bridges. And I think right now um, that has been sorely lacking within the organization right now. How do we tear down this wall between the PBA and the people that make policy in the city? Listen, there's, there's, there's all kind of sides to blame and, and accountability have to be spread around. But the goal of this organization, if we are able to, for example, with tier three, are we going to make any attempt to restore some of these benefits that require state legislation? We have to be able to start building bridges with these people that that are are in power because, let's face it, um, we don't really have too many friends in Albany and at a local level, you know. And you don't even have to believe me. You look at the last election. Look how many how many people won a new PBA endorsement in the five boroughs, you know. Um, the, the the mayor didn't, <laughs> you know. You know the. Um, and the people that did get it, they they wasn't really in position to win. So these are some of the the, the strategies, and these are some of the, the the commitments that the organization have to make moving forward. Are we going to start addressing these these cops problems, and uh, especially and particularly with the tier three? And um, and I'm going to be advocate. Someone said um, to told me the other day, "Oh, you're trying to divide the department between tier two and tier three. 
Well, what is there to divide when almost 90% of the of the, the PBA is tier three? How are you going to divide that when, when everybody here is tier three? And I can tell you right now, when this contract gets settled, there's going to be a, a little bit of, it's probably, I should say, going to be an exodus, right? So that percentage is going to increase. All new hires that come on this job is going to be tier three. They're not going tier two. So how am I, what, am, what am I dividing? I'm not dividing anything. It's a reality. If you have if you have 90 percent of the people are tier three, you can't divide it. There's nothing to divide, you know. And I think even to think that tier two guys are in, in, in position to realize that. Well, say, hey, listen, I'm what well, I'm good, you know, in terms of some of the benefits, you know, in, in terms of pension benefits, I should say. You know, obviously we, we got to try to protect what we have. We try to got to enhance it. But some of those benefits is different when you are able to achieve things in the collective bargaining process or even the PER process versus when things have to be done specifically and only with state legislation. That means we have to develop relationships. The person who's a, a, a city council or whatever the legislative entity is in Rockland County or in Orange County really don't necessarily have a vested interest in what's going on in the city. You know, they, they have their own concerns. So it's one thing to say, hey, we can network with these people who are cop friendly up there. But the, the, the power base and the structure in, in Albany is the five boroughs. That's a reality. I, I'm not that that's not something that's um, uh, that's not some science, secret science. The power base lies in the five boroughs and we have to find a way to start networking with these people. So this way we can get our gender across. I love it, man. Um, and just just a side, another side note I want for you. Me and Erica started attending the CCRB hearings. I really think you guys should uh, you should you should sit in and listen. It's uh it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. The monthly the monthly CCRB meeting open to the public. There was zero representation from the department there. And again, I don't think that you're changing anybody's minds or anything like that. But it would be good to have some police there actually talking some police representation talking so if you guys get a chance definitely check that out uh, eric you got anything else with uh with the uh, discipline well I, I mean that's great i, I actually i was definitely going to mention that yeah well with discipline before we talk about that with the ccrb i mean do do you feel that the uh the pba is representing members effectively with these ccrbs because it's been my argument with when you're the subject of a CCRB, I mean, in the past, it maybe did it way too much. But as of 2018 going forward, as the legislation changed, it got more power, more authority, more funding. When you go to CCRB investigations, it's almost like you have to form your own crime scene. So, And you have a three to five minute window to sit with that attorney and also that line rep. So do you think that they're getting a proper uh, proper representation? Because it's been my opinion that they're not being properly represented. Right. I mean, listen, I mean, obviously there's a there's a perception and there's a reality. And then there's the the, the notion that things are just going to be always stacked against you. And when things are stacked against you, there's always going to be that kind of leverage that you're just not going to have. Right. So, again, it's about some of the policy. So I think that when you start trying to address, well, for starters, yeah, I think that the, the lawyers with the PBA, you know, listen, um, everyone has an opinion. Right. <laughs> So, you know, let, let's make that very clear. But I think in, in general, the, the lawyers has done um, a, a good job in terms of dealing with the women and, and men on this job as a whole. Um, but I do think that the challenge with CCRB and some of these other kind of disciplinary um, processes is the fact that the policy is just horrible. 
you know, and I think that it's coming from the space of, uh, you know, these people have this kind of romantic idea of how cops should be. You know, I, I you know, I, I was a victim a number of years ago, back in probably the, the, the 2000s, I guess, where I was accused of something and I was found guilty. And, um, you know, the person that um, was uh, doing the investigation probably was from like Iowa or something. I right? had no idea what it's like to be a cop in the city. You know, I have no idea of some of the, um, the social dynamics that exist in some of these communities versus where they live. So, you know, when they see something that um, at first glance seemed like is um, wrong or crazy, the reality is, um, you know, if you did a proper investigation, realize that the cop, you know, whoever he or she is, um, didn't do anything improper. But then but then the issue is, well, the if, if someone is found guilty or the, the, the penalties, the, the penalties is crazy. You know, and you you, you got to understand that they have to understand that when you have these crime and crazy penalties, guys are going to be reluctant to do their jobs. And then if they're reluctant to do their jobs, they there's a there's a there's a dynamic where they may actually put their own safety in jeopardy. You know, what I'm saying and into question. So again, I think that it, 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 the the role here have to start with building some sort of level of communication to let these people know that listen, when you have bad policy. I hate to beat a dead horse, but when you have bad policy, poor people are affected the most. The, the, the guy so, on the opposite side is not going to be affected. It's the it's the it's the it's the it's the it's a poor person. That's right. So when you talk about these bad policies, then you talk about these penalties. You, I I know that you watch this podcast and you hear me talk about this time to time because it's a huge issue. What is your opinion to disciplinary matrix? Because that's changed the game entirely. Termination was never a factor that cops had to worry about, but it's on the table. What is your opinion? It, it's, it, again, I, I, you know, I, I, I made that very clear. The, 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 the policy is, is stupid. It, I, I, I don't know how to make it crystal clear. It's the, the policies when you see the matrix. This it, is actually sad. It's, it's, um, Again, I, if you look at what some of these penalties are and you compare them to people who actually commit crimes, how can anyone who is reasonable can, and even with this, even with the idea of the notion that you have to have, hold the cop to a higher standard, how can any reasonable person think that if you don't turn the camera on, and I use that because, like I said, I recently heard that um, the other day in the Bronx, um, that... Uh, that they should be, um, regardless of the circumstances, that they should be hitting the head with some outlandish number. And you know what the other thing is too, people don't view vacation days as money. You know, vacation days in terms of contracts and negotiation and compensation, vacation days has a costing. And if you look at and understand that vacation days have a costing and then you start explaining to people that, and which I did the other day, by the way, it kind of makes them look at it a little bit differently because 80 vacation days or 20 vacation days, it's probably, a, a, it's, 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 it's eight, what, 10 grand, $7,000 or something like that. I don't know the numbers for sure, but it's a lot of money. And um, again, there are people who commit crimes that, um, that, that pay less. And then, and then because they get away with it, they do the shit again, you know, but we don't look at, you know, the, the, the city council with this whole police reform, they are turning crooks into victims. You know, people who go out there, you know, I was talking to a, a, a sergeant the other day 
And he was saying that you know, one, of the, one of the problems is that they viewed a guy who who went to a supermarket and he stole fish. If someone steals fish out of a supermarket, they're eating that, right? But then someone who goes into Walgreens and they steal all the shampoos and all the lotion, they, they sell them that stuff, you know, and not necessarily to pay their rent. But this guy who stole the, the, the lotion, this is his 14th time stealing they still viewed in the same line as the as the person that stole the fish. So there's there's a complete reprogramming that needs to be done in terms of how we address discipline in this in this city. And with the thing, I mean, to the PC's credit, she has um, resolved or or made it a, a point to kind of um, remedy some of these problems. But um, you know, unfortunately, our members are still suffering from. It. John, do you want to speak on it? Because I, 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 I could speak on that all day. I, I don't want to, you know. I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I was gonna let you go. You could, you could finish off with the matrix. Yep. I mean, I don't want to keep Corey all night. We're going on. on yeah, show. I don't want to keep it all night. But I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I, I did give her some kudos, and uh, I was positive, and, and I did show some appreciation by Twitter and some gratitude that the ideologist that she would look into what's going on with the matrix and. But I do believe it's only scratching the surface and then she's only looking at these small penalties because when it comes to small penalties, it's just a memo that has to be sent out. But when it's something legitimate and it's extensive, she has to actually delineate and show in letter form of exactly why she deviated from some penalty. That's why I say, do you feel that the PBA has an obligation to combat these mandated penalties that are listed in this disciplinary matrix? Because... John, I talked about this. Some of these uh, mandated penalties are so ambiguous. I think it's done on purpose so that they can weaponize it in any way they they foresee. It was designed that way, in my opinion. You know, they, um, you know, there was a, I think, um, I think she was a state assembly person in uh, on the Upper West Side. She was trying to come up with a bill. You know, obviously, you can you can argue whether or not, uh, you know, how how silent we've been on these issues. And, you know, some of the other challenges is, is like when um, when the PBA does say, for example, do take action on something you don't know about. It. You know what I'm saying? So you, you, you're you sometimes left in the dark as to you know what exactly what we are doing when we're doing it. So sometimes it's unfair to comment on something when when you just don't know the answer to it. Um, just from a from a pragmatic standpoint of, well, listen, these things that aren't really known. But um, but to your point, yeah, the disciplinary matrix is. Um, I think we're just beginning to to some of the ramifications. You know, like when when you have a new policy and and it's bad, sometimes the um, the 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 ramifications and the problems with it don't reveal it reveal itself in the short time in the short order. It's five years down the road. So, like for example, when they came up with the reform. You know, the first year or so, you didn't really see the problems with it. But four years later, five years later, that length of time, whatever it is, now you're seeing the rise in the shootings, right? You're seeing young kids and the gang violence and all these things. They starting to all all the things that when we came on the job back in the nineties, these things are starting to grow again. The homelessness, for example. You know, I'm in transit. You know, homeless has always been an issue in uh, in um, in in the whole. Um, as you guys topside like to call it, but you know I haven't seen the homeless problem this bad in 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 twenty years. You know what I'm saying? And 
And this is as a result of legislators and policymakers coming up with these policies. They have this romantic idea, like I said before, on how things supposed to be. But then the, 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 the practical implementation of these laws, how are you going to have, for example, with the homeless, talking about the homeless for a second, right? How are you going to have a policy to fix the homeless when you don't have any support in terms of, you know, um, substance abuse program and mental health program or even an adequate um, housing situation, you know, for these people. But you don't want the cops to, to, to engage with trying to remove them from the system, for example, or from street corner. Right. So where are these people going? So is this, it becomes a circle, you know, this revolving door kind of thing of, you know, and I think that that extends with many of the policies these people are implementing. You know, it, it's, it's a Band-Aid to a problem or it actually becomes a detriment. And you're going to really start to see some of these problems exist two or three years from now when 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 the city becomes if it doesn't get fixed, when it really spiral out of control. Yeah, but I, th I think what, what Eric was saying, though, is like, do you think that the PBA, like, I know what you said, we don't know what the PBA is doing behind closed doors, but like, that is something that should be, that should be presented to the members, you know? Like, well, I, I agree with you on that. And, uh, and, and that goes back to some of the things I was saying about the transparency earlier. Sometimes things are just not, um, it's not known, you know? And then when you question on it, like now, I can't give you an adequate answer. You know, not not one is going to satisfy the question in its entirety. You know, yeah. listen, I'll be lying to say that uh, the, the, the current president or administration is not doing anything at all. That will be a lie. You know, I just have a different vision on how things should be done. You know what I'm saying? I think that, you know, when you have members not knowing, when you have members not knowing and understanding what's going on, that also has a long-term effect that won't necessarily reveal itself. You know what I'm saying? And then when you have a situation where the parties that are in existence now in these leadership roles, they're not going to be here in four years, five years. They're not going to be here. You know, these guys are not going to be here. You know what I'm saying? So then, then what? You know what I'm saying? So that's why it's important to start from a logistical standpoint, start preparing the organization from what's going to happen in five, ten years from now. That, that, that should be the main goal of the organization moving forward. Where are we going to be in ten years? Are we going to be healthy? Are, you know, are, are we going to create a dynamic where guys are going to be able to participate without the fear of a retaliation? You know, are, are guys going to be able to um, go to the mic? Because trust me, you go to that mic in the PBA meeting right now. And if you say anything that deviates from the organization's um, view on, on whatever the, the, the issue is, God help you. <laughs> That's all I got to say. God help you. Because you're going to be met with such a resistance, and that resistance is um, is going to be counterproductive to to the growth of this organization. I'm going to answer this last question with it, then I'll let, let John go on because I know he, there's some stuff he wants to ask. I don't want to keep you all night, but the last thing I want to answer you. So, if you are elected PBA president today, would you have a conference with the PC to seek to have this disciplinary matrix revamped? removed, modified, what would be your intent? Because I, it's my opinion this disciplinary matrix is one of the major pitfalls of this job right now. And you talked about 80 vacation days. Cops are going to face much worse than 80 vacation days 
some of these penalties, because of aggravating factors, so your police officers that have tenure on the job that are tier two right now will suffer the most because of the experience and the time on the job that they have when it comes to these penalties. So what, what would you be your position right now with the PC if you had an opportunity to discuss where this disciplinary matrix is going, if, if it will be there at all? Right. Well, the, the, first of all, the, yeah, we we'll definitely have a meeting. And then the, the other thing is, like, how can we help you? How can we help with this program? How can we help? What, what can we do in terms of resources or anything else? Of how, 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 how can we um, remedy this? You know, everything from even in terms of uh, recruiting. You know, I think there's opportunities for for us to address a lot of these problems by having the communication with the PC and who, whoever else. Even you know, sometimes it might be unpopular, but you know, we, we might actually have to start having a conversation with community leaders. You know what I'm saying? We 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 have to let these people know that one, we're not bad people, we're great people. New York City police officers is the, is the to me and maybe bias obviously, but are the best cops in the world. And it, listen, I'm preaching to the choir here when I say something like that. But the reality, <laughs> no, we love hearing that. That's what we need to hear. Right. But these people in, in these communities need to need to hear that too. They need to be. They need to listen. I think sometimes it's unpopular when you start saying that. Hey, you know, you know, because of the the maybe the the so called political politics that might be associated when you have conversations with certain people that you're, you 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 kissing butt or you're making alliances that you shouldn't be making. But the reality is we, we have to kind of um, look at all possibilities. We Because, listen, the, 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 I'm a curse. The shit that we're doing now ain't working. The things that we're doing now ain't, ain't working. You know, if you got, like you say, you have all these guys being hit in the head with all these things. What are we doing now that's working? And, 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 I, and I'll challenge anybody to that. What are we doing that's not working, right? For example, in transit, we, we're doing 80 hours overtime. I think the cap is 75. The guys are doing 80, 90 hours all the time. It's been going on for a whole year, right? The organization has been silent. We're lucky if we get a well-written letter saying that this is wrong, right? When uh, when when the, the mayor himself went to um, go back to Solo Patrol, um, what happened was a it was a well-written letter. That was the time to 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 to, to scream. That was the time, you know. Fortunately, um, well. Not fortunately, but there was a, actually it was from my command, um, Detective Simmons, who was a big dude, you know, he got thrown down the stairs. But I remember when that incident happened, I was like, man, what if this guy wasn't six foot four and like 260 pounds? You know, what if it was a smaller cop? Doesn't even matter if it's female or male. We, we, we might be, we might have had another tragedy, right? But, and then the, the, the mayor, you know, um, rightfully kind of reversed the policy on that. And, and and we went back to, to dual patrol. But, you know, listen, you know, I know some of the old school guys in transit, oh, well, I did soul patrol. I said, it's a different time now. They got cameras. When I first got to District 32, cops were carrying axe handles with electrical tape at the end. Axe handles. You know, they saw off the, 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 the razor part, but they was carrying axe handles. Can't do that. It's a different, it's a different <laughs> policing now. But, you know, these are some of the things that we have to do. We have to think out of the box. We have to do these non-traditional things that we've been doing for the last whatever years. And uh, again, it goes to me saying that, you know what? Um, I appreciate Pat Lynch's service, but after 23 and a half years and counting, we got to start looking at this, these modern police issues from a different lens. And, uh, and I think a lot of cops are agreeing with it. 
they, um, I, I think a lot of people are, are agreeing with that. Right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. No, and really, and and, uh, and I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you for taking two hours to sit down with us. You know, me and Eric get demonized a lot. Not a peep. Not a lot of people will come down here and sit with us. They're worried where we're gonna go, how we're gonna attack. We're not that. We would never do that to anyone. So I, you know, I give you a lot, a lot of credit for for coming on the show. Right. Um, I I really do. I give you a lot, a lot of credit. Um. I, you know, it's. You're talking transparency. That's the problem. You've been very transparent. You sat with us for over two hours. Um, it's been that long? Wow, I didn't realize it's that long. Listen, we could probably do another 10 hours on issues that the police department's facing today, right? But I, I, I think that you, 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 you laid out your platform for us. Uh, but we, we definitely want to give you an opportunity that could you tell the men and women of the New York City Police Department of the of the uh, PBA why should Corey Gable be elected to PBA president? Well, again, uh, in closing, I, I definitely want to take you, you know, take the opportunity to thank you, gentlemen, for even allowing me on the show. You know, I, I had some people advise me, oh, don't go to the show too. You know, you don't know. You, know, <laughs> you get sandbagged. I've been at different events where you know they told me one thing, and the next thing you know, um, you know, it turned into something else, and. Um, but I, but I knew that this was going to be an opportunity for myself and, um, you know, especially given like what happened on Tuesday, uh, you know, your podcast is growing. I, I would love to see where you guys are in a couple of years from now. You're probably going to, you know, uh, uh, be on um, serious radio or one of those kind of shows. And uh, hopefully, hopefully that happens. But, uh, but, but seriously, why I think cops should vote for me. Listen, I, I have a vision that's much bigger than myself. You know, I have 30 years on a job. I've made some, you know, personal, you know, um, decisions, um, you know, financially, you know, um, where I don't have to be here. But every time I thought about leaving, there was always something, you know, you call spiritually that, that that made me do here. But I do think that we're in a pivotal time right now. We're, this union is facing, um, we have to be in position where we have to modernize this organization. We have to we have to start preparing the next generation of officers to, to take over this thing. It starts with transparency and, and, and understanding how this PBA process actually works. Um, again, I, and I'll say for the, I guess the third time today, I appreciate Pastor Lynch's service, but I think right now he's hurting us. You know, he's, he's um, you know, I, I think that the, the, the people in the city and, and, and to be quite frank, some of the, the officers just feel that after 23 years, sometimes you lose something. We need to inject a new blood, a new energy into this thing. And it starts with younger guys and younger women on this job starting to look at the PBA as a, um, as a career choice to make things better. I want to make things better for New York City police officers. I can go through a platform and, and, and go into saying all my talking points is on my website, but I wanna kind of speak from the heart here. Um, I know I can do the job. I'm intelligent enough to do it. Everything I've got through this PBA, I've earned. You know, I, you know, I was talking to John earlier, you know, I come from a family, I come from a Christian family. You know, my grandfather came up from the South with 20 bucks in his pocket. And he always used to tell me and my dad as well, if you don't work, you should not eat. And I think that um, that's the kind of um, energy that's the kind of space where I'm going to 
try to lead this organization. And in and, and, and the period of time, if um, the membership um, decide to put their trust in me, that is the, the new energy that I'm going to put into this thing. So, um, you know, my hope is that uh, people will have the opportunity to vote. You know, I'm looking for a fair election. That's all I ask for. I think the men and women on this job deserve the opportunity to choose who they want to represent them. So I'm asking every um, person that listens to this podcast to, to share this information. Make sure your address is up to date, not only with the department, but also with the PBA office, because when the ballots go out, they're going to be mailed to you. So and also whether you vote for me or you vote for the whomever decides to run, if it's Patty or someone else, you know, understand that you should vote. You have to participate in this process. This process is um, in any in America, you know, voting should be held sacred, you know, and anything that's done to intentionally um, detract from uh, that type of space. It's uh, it's not American. And, um, you know, I'm not here to belabor a point about what happened Tuesday, but there's been a lot of mischaracterizations that was made in that on that that uh, audio that simply isn't true. Um, if it was, I wouldn't have been able to survive for 20 years as a union rep. And um, I take pride in that. Um, like I said, I'm doing this with integrity. Um, there's a there's an honest approach to it. Um, this this has been a grassroots um, um, type of startup in terms of this campaign. And I'm looking forward to working and being in a position and having an opportunity to uh, serve the men and the women of this great department. I believe in this department. So um, with that note, again, I want to thank you, gentlemen, for giving me the opportunity to speak. And uh, I just wish that uh, and hope for that every man and woman on this job, they go out there to they do, do um, be safe. Uh, more importantly, uh, I want these men and women to understand that if you are having a bad day, if you're feeling that like you're having a difficult time, you really need to reach out. You know, start with the guy that's, that's changing next to you or the gal that's changing next to you in the locker room. If you're having a bad day, if you feel that things are becoming a little overwhelming for you, understand that there is help. Understand there is opportunities to speak to someone. And uh, and hopefully, hopefully we won't have another tragedy. So thank you very much. Thank you, Corey. Ladies and gentlemen, Corey Grable. Look him up. Corey, thank you so much. No, thank you, guys. CoreyGrable2023.com. Look him up. You can look see his whole platform there. Corey, thanks again. Eric, you want to end? Yeah, I just want to thank you most importantly for your courage for coming on the show. I'm sure you heard rumors, and like you said, maybe you get saved. But we, we just want the opportunity to give you the platform. We just want to help the members. There's no skin in the game for us. We're not making any money off this. We just want to help the members. That's all. Uh, we enjoy it. That's all. So thank you. Thank you for taking the challenge. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Anyway, you have a great night. All right, Likewise. Guys. Bye, all. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thank you.